Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Balthazar. And today, we're going to be doing the second preview episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats entire lifetime and previewing the K-State opponent for the upcoming week. Obviously, who else would we be previewing? It's the FCS school of the Southern Illinois Salukis. And let's just dive right into their 2020 stats. They had an overall record of 6-4 last year with a conference record of 3-3, including a marquee victory up against North Dakota State, the FCS powerhouse that may or may not be on the decline, but was still pretty good last year. They had a grand total of 1,800 rushing yards with a 4.5 average per attempt, and 17 total rushing touchdowns, but where they really made their name was through their air attack, getting a total of 2,391 passing yards at a clip of 8.02 per attempt and only 5 passing interceptions. Meanwhile, they had a completion percentage of 55.6% and 17 touchdowns, with a third down percentage of 52.48%, 15 sacks allowed, and 27.1 points per game, with a total of 271 points for. So, all of those were just a lot of numbers, numbers, numbers thrown at you. So, what I really want to take away, or what I did take away from those numbers, was specifically the third down percentage and their passing numbers. Those are both numbers that don't reek of the big play, but rather reek of efficiency and not putting yourself in bad situations. Yeah, um, the third down percent, pretty much anything over 50%, generally, you're going to be somewhat happy with. And then um, the um, passing touchdowns uh, and rushing touchdowns is interesting to compare because it's both 17, so they score in uh, a fairly balanced manner, but the method in which they get there, they prefer passing yards, is what I'm gathering from this. So when you get into the red zone with this team, you have less of an idea of what you're going to get, but outside of uh, scoring distance, you're going to see maybe a bit more of the passing game. Yeah. And do you want to cover the defensive stats? Yeah. So the defense gave up 29.7 points per game last season for a total of 297. They had 1,849 pass yards given up, as well as 11 passing touchdowns, which is not bad at all especially that touchdown number that's actually very low for passing touchdowns that they gave up. However, where they really got burned was in the running game. They gave up 2,039 rushing yards and 26 rushing touchdowns, which is just absolutely horrible, especially compared to their uh, passing touchdowns given up number. Their uh, red zone touchdown um, ratio was 28 touchdowns in 44 red zone attempts by opposing teams. They had five interceptions as a team, and they had 13 sacks. Yeah, so all in all, that's a pretty solid stat line for a 10-game season. Though it is interesting that they gave up more points per game than they got for points per game, but were still a net positive in their record. They were still a winning record team. Yeah. But... What I take away from that is that their rush defense is really, really bad. Really bad. Uh, the word that we've been throwing around is porous around here. 
it's pretty terrible, especially those touchdown numbers. I mean, 26 compared to the 11 that you're giving up in passing touchdowns. I mean, that may help explain why the passing touchdowns and numbers are lower is because teams knew that they could just run it and be almost at, and be just as successful. So, I mean, I, I would run against this team if it were me. <laughs> because they, they simply just don't have the, the size or the strength or the athleticism to deal with a halfway decent rushing attack. Yeah, and that's something that K-State is probably going to sell themselves on. But we don't have to just go off of last year's statistics. We actually have a game from this year that was played by the Salukis, and it was up against Southeastern Missouri State, or as I just call them, no, it's not State, it's just Southeastern Missouri, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, SEMO. They ended up winning that game by a not necessarily close margin. You want to go over the stats for that one? Yeah, so the final score in this game was 47-21. to 21. I'm going off the uh, Southeast Missouri. I had it on the, the document. Oh, okay. Well, I don't even need that. Um, it's just the 2021 stats total, plus you also have yeah, that. So I guess it is pretty, it's literally the same. Yeah. So, yeah, they're obviously 1-0 so far, just their one game. Um, 98 rushing yards and 4.08 yards per attempt, which that's not that's not really anything to write uh, home about. At. Yeah, it's not bad, but, you know, it's... Compared to their passing numbers, it's just, it's not a big deal. Yeah. The, that's where their passing numbers factor in those. They had 460 passing yards for 13.5 yards per attempt, which that's very lethal. Uh, then that two rushing touchdowns. Uh, their third down percentage was just in the gutter. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> at, at 27.27%, just uh, utterly terrible third down percentage. And their points per game, 41, uh, points for, 41 points against, 27. Actually, should that be 47 and 21? It probably should be. Yeah. And we figured out the the sack numbers, which is just not on that document. But it's not on that table, I should say. It's on the next page. Yeah. But it was a relatively dominant victory for Southern Illinois. So they at least have the momentum of a victory going into facing K-State at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, which I've gone on record as saying this will almost certainly be the most hostile environment that they will face in probably the majority of their college careers. Yeah, I'd imagine it's not going to get any more difficult than it will uh, this coming Saturday for Southern Illinois. Because, I mean, we watched a little bit of film from their playoff game against Weber State, and that, that was a FCS playoff game, and granted it was a COVID year, but it still wasn't particularly full. And this was in the spring of 2021. Yes. So restrictions were starting to be pulled back a little bit, and this also was Utah. Yeah, so, plus it was Ogden. Ogden, Utah. Yeah, so it, I'm not 100% sure what their attendance stats were, but... It, was, it wasn't super populated. So a lot of these people have never played in front of a capacity crowd, at least at the college level, and they've definitely never played in front of 50,000 people at the college level. So that will have at least some impact, I expect, especially because I expect the crowd to be especially restless uh, this coming Saturday uh, just because of how long it's been since there's been a a full-capacity, real-live football game in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Which, fun fact, I know everyone's going to keep saying it, but that will be Spencer Rattler's first 
experience, yep. it's not going to be a fun time yeah. for him. And as keep that in the back of your mind, uh, Spencer Rattler's first true road game will be at K-State in October. I believe the 16th, I think, or no, it's the 2nd, I think. Yeah, because there are yeah. second conference yeah, games. Yeah, Iowa State's the 16th. So, yeah, o- October 2nd, Spencer Rattler, about to get rattled. The Rattler is rattled. I ain't afraid of no Rattler. I ain't afraid of no Rattler. Someone needs to make that a sign. Just bring in the, uh, the sign. Just says, we ain't afraid of no Rattler. Surely we can get somebody to do it. Oh, someone. Maybe it's us. Uh, I've never been a sign guy myself. I haven't either. I think we need to get that one random guy who brought in the... Uh, the the ACT? Not, the, no, the Nautilus sign from my freshman year at the West Virginia game. Oh, yeah. What was on that again? It was the it was a guy dressed at well I'll go over one side. <laughs> the the one side of the sign was the guy was dressed as Santa and it was the naughty list and on the front of on the naughty list it had Miles Garrett because this was the week after Miles Garrett decided that Miles that a uh, Mason Rudolph Mason Rudolph's helmet was the hammer and his head was the nail, which. Interesting take. Yeah, interesting <laughs> take. <laughs> and the other one was West Virginia, and there was a third one that I don't remember. I'm not going to talk about the backside of that sign, though it did get the, uh, the, I'll tell you after if you don't remember. I, I do not remember. It did get the, um, it did get the Jumbotron operators. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Southern Illinois. We have a few notes on them. Again, it's... You can't find the SEMO game in terms of film. We've tried. Yeah. And I'm putting in... And I and I mean, like, actually tried. And I'm not talking about I'm the I'm lazy and don't want to do it. Tried to where I did one Google search, didn't find it, and then gave up. No, I, I spent at least a couple of hours looking for any sight of this game's existence and could only find a highlight tape from SEMO. So that clearly did not help me. But yeah, and those camera angles were just not. You, you could you could do nothing with them. Yeah. Like, what do you want? And, me and to also, do? it was going to be basically all CMO highlights, anyways, and we're not playing them. So yeah, not super useful. So we're just basically going off of what we saw last year and observations that I made, or we made, just looking at the roster. And the first and probably most obvious thing that you think of whenever you think of an FCS school unless you're talking about North Dakota State, is that they love spreading the ball around and just running spread offense and throwing the ball around as much as they can. Which, I invite you, please, give it a shot. Yeah, if there's ever been a case a defense that I feel blindly confident in to just completely shut down a spread attack, it would be this one. Granted, it's a very small sample size of one game against a team that doesn't exactly have the most lethal passing attack. But nevertheless, as a Power 5 school with a four-star quarterback and talented receivers, that didn't really do anything. So, so K-State, they'll, uh, they'll have to try on defense. This is not just a completely uh, dead-on-arrival offense that they're going to face. They're, they will... They will actually be a challenge. They're 7th ranked in the FCS, which was only good enough to get them picked 4th in the Missouri Valley Conference. Yeah. And hey guys, what's the what's the like power conference at FCS? It may be the Missouri Valley. <laughs> Who knows? 
No. No, that can't be it. But, but yeah, Southern Illinois, uh, they're going to pass the ball a lot. And they'll run some, but I have complete faith in the run defense. We do not need to stack the box against this team ever. We could probably run, like, a 3-2-6 and effectively (laughs) defend the run. Dime defense every play. Yeah, just constant dime defense. And I think that would honestly probably do fine. And, um, yeah. Oh, and then another thing, uh, just to note on their passing game, is they actually did switch quarterbacks from last year. It wasn't because their quarterback graduated. It was because he lost the job uh, to a guy named Nick Baker. Uh, He is the quarterback uh, for Southern Illinois, just threw for 460 and two touchdowns. So Against SEMO, yeah. Yeah, against SEMO. So nothing to to sniff at there. Uh, He's undersized and doesn't like running. Which is weird for a 5'9", 190 quarterback. Yep, just passes a lot. And that's that's all I can make of it. Yeah, I. that's kind of where I'm at. That kind of makes me wonder how, because I saw the weight of the offensive line, makes me wonder how short the offensive line is. Mm-hmm. And also, something to note about, I'm not going to do the whole Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, oh, he's too short to be a quarterback. No. However, if you look into the NFL, there are times that those quarterbacks can struggle over the middle of the field. Unless you're Drew Brees. But Kyler Murray in particular, who is 5'9", is a much better boundary passer than he is a middle-of-the-field passer by virtue of his height. So I assume the similar concept applies here, which, please, I beg of you, once again, try the boundaries. Yes, and that also will be advantageous for K-State's pass defense because the weak spots are in the intermediate middle areas. Uh, the the seam routes are the big weakness for this defense, at least as of now. So if they can keep Nick Baker out of the middle of the field, I would love for him to try and test Julius Branson, Echo Boyd O, and Justin Gardner and T. Denson. I, I would just absolutely love that if he would try that. Because I'm really looking forward to seeing Nick Baker throw like three picks. Be, be the first person to try Echo. Yeah. Be no. the first person to find out. Echo, I, I I simply do not think he was targeted a single time. I don't think like he Stanford, was. Which is really flying under the radar right now. But it was just because like he just didn't record any statistics because he never had to tackle people because no one had the ball around him because he just covers that well. So there also is something to note for the Saluki defense. Their rush defense... Because sometimes you get just bad games, right? Where you give up a couple hundred rushing yards and that skews your stats. So maybe that excuse is for 2020. No. No, 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 no. No, their rush defense is truly terrible. And there, there's no... I don't want to be mean to an FCS school because that is kind of... Even though we're literally just two dudes, we follow a, a Division One FBS program, so it kind of feels like punching down. Yep. And that's the number one rule of comedy is never punch down, punch up. But at the same time, it's they're, they're it's awful. It's truly, they don't fit well. Linebackers seem to be out of position and out of gaps. The force defender on outside zones don't do anything. It's, in a way, it's sad, but also it benefits us. So I'm not sad about it. 
Yeah. It, this is an excellent matchup for K-State offensively because this is an offense that it, even when Skyler's having a good game, it's still going to it, it's going to make its money in the run game, at least most of the time. So having a great opportunity uh, to take on just an atrocious run defense this will be great for Deuce, but also it's going to be great for Joe Irvin, Jacardier Wright, and maybe even DJ Giddens. And you may even end up going lower than that, like Clyde Price and different weathers, depending on how quickly this gets out of hand, if it does. Ah, uh, yes. Let's try Will Howard at running back. I mean, hey, why not? I mean, <laughs> if we're up Did by... you see him on those jet options? He was running. <laughs> he always got caught, but he was running. <laughs> the baby gazelle runs. The Will Howard package. I'm looking forward to seeing it. We all are. Yeah, but, yeah, it's a golden opportunity for K-State to uh, really flex its muscles uh, running the football. Great opportunity for the offensive line to course correct, at least uh, some of them, uh, to course correct from last week and uh, get some uh, live reps in and just dominate a lesser opponent, or at the very least, uh, as we think, a lesser opponent. Uh, we'll wait and see because uh, we just we, we simply don't have enough information on this year's team uh, just because there's a serious lack of film. Uh, I believe I saw that they have 16 super seniors that came back from COVID, but we'll see if that saves them. Yeah. And their line is decently sized for FCS, which means that it will be one of the smaller lines that we face the entire year. In fact, I think Nevada may be... I think Nevada may be next, and that's like a difference of about 20 or 30 pounds per, on average. So, this will be a game where we mentioned it earlier, and I will continue to mention it. The D-line will continue to consume the offensive line, and this may give the opportunity for the offensive line for K-State to deal with more potentially twitchier and lighter edge rushers or pass rushers in general. Yeah, should be a big day for the defensive line because they just faced perhaps the largest offensive line that they will face all year other than maybe OU and just absolutely had a field day. So there's no reason that they should not just explode against Southern Illinois unless somehow all of them just had a career best day on the same day, which seems really unlikely. So Southern Illinois... Um, should be a great moment. I, I imagine Timmy Horn will just eat the interior offensive line alive. I, I expect that they the, they will just go out there with two offensive tackles and someone to snap the ball and run away immediately from Timmy <laughs> Horn. Uh, Khalid Duke, I'm expecting him to have a good day. Felix Anudike, I'm hoping he makes a, a more direct impact uh, this week. There should be a lot of defensive linemen getting into the tackle column. I imagine this will be a lighter day for the secondary in some capacities, just because I think that we're going to give Nick Baker fits just from uh, the level of pass rush that we're going to be getting. And so the secondary shouldn't have to work as hard as it normally will, even though this is a spread passing team. I, I just don't know how effective they're going to be in any facet of the game offensively if the, if the defense plays the level of that. We have seen it play. Yeah. And then a final note on their offense. We mentioned it earlier, but their third down percentage 
was horrid last game against Southeast Missouri. So, I am willing to bet that this might be my hot take of the episode. There's one more in particular that will come during the the MVPs section. But it's not even that hot a take for the MVPs. But <laughs> this is going to be my hot take in terms of stats. I think that Southern Illinois walks away with a worse third down percentage than they had against SEMA. Which is consider which is surprising because you can't get much worse than twenty seven percent. I I could see it, honestly. Like at first I thought that sounded a little strange. I was like, what are you talking about, man? But you know, the more you think about it, the more it does actually make sense that they may have an even worse day than they've already had. And a lot of that just comes back to, again, uh, if K-State's defense lives up to um, its performance against Stanford. So if it can do that, we could see a 25% or lower third down conversion rate. Zero percent. That, that would be nice. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm expecting them to get one or two in garbage time when like the third stringers are in. But at, at least if we uh, get to that point, this is all us anticipating K-State taking care of business. Um, I was a lot more worried about this game over the summer, but after watching yes, film... you were. <laughs> yes. After, after watching film and just like... Get stats. Yeah, looking, looking at their statistics, uh, watching them play real-life football, I am nowhere near as worried as I was before. Maybe I will eat crow on that. I might have to eat my hat, but... I, I don't know. I, I'm very confident in the KSU Cats going into this weekend. Yeah. And their secondary, again, was fine for the FCS level. Defensive line was fine, but will be undersized for this game. Linebackers did not play the run well. And that's pretty much all the notes that we have for their specific team. So let's go into the storylines to watch for this game, and I feel like the biggest storyline to watch will be, can Skyler get back to his passing rhythm? Because I don't think you'll find many people who dispute that Skyler rushing last week was pretty good. However, you will find detractors in his passing numbers and passing performance. And even though Phillip Brooks was willing to take the blame for that interception in the end zone during the press conferences today, he shouldn't have. I will be the first person to say that should absolutely... Philip Brooks should not have had to take the heat on that one. Which, he's a better man than I for doing it. Good for Philip Brooks. But this is going to need to be the game where Skyler proves that he can get back onto his rhythm. And I think he can. But it's just something to definitely watch during this game. Yeah, Skyler, uh, he was okay last week when you average out the rushing and passing performances because he was very good rushing and passing the ball he was a save for one play with blown coverage uh really had an off day for his standards Uh, he admitted to that in the press conferences that just happened that he he did not play the way that he expects himself to and that he needs to do better um i think this is an excellent opportunity for Skyward to course correct. 
I don't think he's going to have like a 400-yard passing day or something like that because I don't think it's necessary uh, for this game plan unless we get behind, which I really, really hope not. Yeah, that would kind of suck. Yeah, that'd be terrible. But Skyler, I, uh, I anticipate that he will have a good game. I don't think it's going to be an elite-level game, but I don't think he's going to play poorly. I think that he'll have a solid game, a good confidence-building game. Uh, he'll complete a couple deep balls, probably throw for the low 200s, um, maybe not even break 200 because he doesn't always, and we still perform well. And So, yeah, Skyler getting back on track, that will be uh, – I think I agree with you. I think that's the biggest storyline going into this weekend. Yeah. The next one is in regards to the defense is can we're talking about reversing course with Skyler. We got to stay on track with the defense and against an FCS opponent it will be interesting to see if they if we are at least as dominant as we were against the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, that should be the expectation is the defense dominates this game. Because if they were able to dominate Stanford, a Power 5 opponent, the way that they were able to, and nobody's saying that Stanford is some elite program this year, that they're going to like win out and go like 11-1. But they're still a Power 5 school in a Power 5 conference that has very good uh, recruits and players, very talented players on its squad. So the defense was able to dominate that. There's no reason the defense should not be able to have at least a performance on par with how they played against Stanford. So it will be moderately concerning if they aren't able to uh, really just dominate uh, Southern Illinois for the majority of the game, with the exception of maybe garbage time and when the backups are going in. But yeah, it, it will be hard to replicate such a dominant performance that they had but they need to at least come close, I think. Yeah. Because I feel like our defensive backs are going to be fine. It's the defensive line and linebackers. They need to be able to replicate their performance, even without Daniel Green, who was called out by Kleiman for being by far the biggest standout on the defense, even though I personally gave MVP to Russ Yeast or Timmy Horn. I understand the Daniel Green pick, but... And then the last big story to watch is we have on the outline, does Deuce expose SIU's rushing defense? Honestly, will the three-headed monster of Deuce, Joe, and Jacardier expose the rushing defense? There's no reason that they should not because this is probably going to be the worst rush defense that they faced all season, maybe with the ex- Actually, no, KU. No, KU's would be no better. Exception. Yeah, I was I was gonna say maybe the exception to KU, but there's no KU's rush defense will actually be. They have Ray Lewis. How could it not be? Yeah, that's true. They have Ray Lewis, so their rush defense will be considerably better than Southern Illinois. There's no reason that Deuce, Joe, and Jacardier shouldn't combine for a ludicrous amount of yards, and I mean they should combine at least hit 200, I think. And add some in there for Skyler and Will if he gets some playing time. And throwing Giddens, uh, he should be able to contribute as well. I expect that K-State will dominate on the ground and get whatever they want. And it will honestly be a little disappointing if they don't do that. Unless SIU has somehow constructed an unbelievable rush defense. Which I 
find very unlikely. Because yeah. it, they would have had to figure that out in a week. week. <laughs> so, it's not impossible, I guess. It's very unlikely. So, it, this should be not just Deuce exposing their run defense. It should be the entire running back room and the quarterbacks and Malik Knowles. So now let's get into projections, which let's do a little something different because this is going to be a somewhat shorter preview episode, and I'll guide you along because I forgot to put it on that document. So All right, I appreciate that. The first thing we'll do is stat projections before we get into offensive, defensive MVPs, and then finally the score. So let's go firstly with Skylar Thompson. Does he throw for over 250 yards? I'm gonna say I'm gonna take the under. Um, take the under on that because I it's up in the air and if he'll even hit 200, I think. And that's not saying that he'll have a bad day because he could have thrown for 150 yards like he did against Stanford and still had a good day if he had hit uh, more of the passes that he missed because he just wasn't needed to have a huge monster day against Stanford because the run game was doing just fine. So I think we'll encounter a similar situation. Uh, against Southern Illinois, um, he may throw for around 200, maybe the 190 to 210 range, and that that will be just totally fine. That'll be enough, and he'll hopefully have a more accurate passing day, a more efficient day, uh, hitting his targets where he needs to, not missing easy passes or passes that as a six-year senior should be able to complete. So I'll, I'll take the under. Take the under. I'll take the under as well. I'm just going to go with the running back room, not any specific running back in particular, above, again, 250 rushing. I will take the over. Uh, I'll take over 250 um, for the running back room combined because I think Deuce could, I think he could very easily get the 150 on like seven carries (laughs) against this rush defense if the line blocks even mediocrely then I expect Joe Irvin to have a significantly better day than he had against Stanford. I think Ducardier will get more carries um, and then Other get in one. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he can't, he has to get more, I guess like, <laughs> it's only up from here. And then Giddens, I think we'll see some of DJ Giddens uh, if the cats get out to a quick lead. Um, so I, I think this, the running back room could very easily eclipse 250 yards. Okay. Moving on to defense, we'll get two stats here as well. Greater than three total turnovers, which is interceptions or fumbles. I'm going to say fewer than. If it were if the line or two and a half, I think I would barely take the over at three. But I, a greater or fewer than three, I think I have to go with fewer uh, just because... I, I think the defense will be dominant enough that they can just force punts all day. And they'll mess up eventually, get desperate eventually, and we'll get an easy pick. Or Draw McPherson will just blow someone up and we'll uh, recover a fumble. So maybe I'm setting the bar a little bit too low there for the defense, but I'm just expecting them to dominate in a different way than the turnover department, but I would gladly take them getting more turnovers. I, I don't care how we dominate them as long as we do. Okay. I'm going to take the over because by the very nature of their offense and their quarterback, they're going to have to try the outside corners. So I'm projecting at least three picks 
for the cornerbacks and safeties. And I think that, just like you, I think J-Mac gets or forces a fumble or an edge rusher gets his hand in there, forces a fumble. So I'm actually going to go above three. Now the next one, as an ambulance drives by. That might be a fire truck. Fire truck. There was a, there was a line of them earlier. Anyway, so the last one we're going to do for stat projections before we move into who we think will lead in each respective category and we'll just do the obvious ones because we know passing and rushing. We'll just do the non-obvious ones. Right. Above 10 tackles for loss. And this is including sacks. Um, I'm going to say no. You can split. Okay, I can split. Mm-hmm. I will still take the under just because I think that this run defense is going to do a lot of filling holes at the line as opposed to getting into the backfield. Um, sacks, I think we'll get close. I think we'll probably be around eight or nine. I'm not sure if we'll quite... We had eight against two. Stanford. Yes, we did have eight against Stanford, which is making me want to reevaluate my choice. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, ten is a lot um, of tackles behind the line. I think it'll come down to how many sacks we get. If we can get more than four, I think we definitely get more than ten uh, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. But I'm just anticipating a lot of runs for like one or two yards that go absolutely nowhere. So Okay. I'm going to split. I'll say we get exactly ten. I think if I were forced to do a breakdown, four sacks, six TFLs. I, I think that's about the magic number there. I, I think the four sacks is reasonable. It's also totally reasonable that we get way more or not as many. Ah, uh, yes, twenty-three sacks. Yes, I I take it, but and then six TFLs. Um, that makes a lot of sense because we could honestly do that uh, in like the first half, and then Klingerman could just call off the dogs, and we just run base defense the rest of the way, and not even blitz, and yeah. still like get some just like coverage sacks or whatever. Yeah, get a get a little bit of a <laughs> decent pressure in there. So now we're going to move on to who we think will be the leading receiver. And keep in mind that last week it was Philip Brooks. <laughs> and uh, apologies for the interruption. We had to deal with something. But anyway, leading receiver. Last week it was Philip Brooks. I believe you and I both projected it to be Matsuri Bebe. So um, I'm not going to pick Matsuri Bebe. However, I will be picking, I don't know why I said however, like it would be another tight end. I'm going to go ahead and pick Malik Knowles, the true wide receiver one, even though he didn't have the greatest week last week, just purely catching the ball. I think that this is a week where he can make a lot of noise in terms of the receiving game. Yeah, that's my pick as well. Um, Daniel Matabebe should be able to just dominate the secondary or not Daniel Matthew, but Malik Knowles. I was I mean. like, uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, Malik Knowles. Um, he should be able to just uh, dominate uh, the secondary because uh, he's an unbelievable athlete in open space. As we have seen, he just needs to get into open space, and he should be able to do that against this team. So I, I think that he'll have an excellent day receiving, and he really just needs a day like that, just a, a high-level uh, production day. From League Knowles, he just, I think if he can get that, he could really ride that wave for several weeks. All right, so who leads the team in sacks? 
Who leads the team in sacks? Cody Fletcher. It's probably not going to be Cody Fletcher. Uh, yeah, I guess it could be, but um, that's a great question. I feel like the most likely scenario is a lot of people with one, but if I had to pick somebody, I think I would roll with uh, Khalid Duke. Just that's the easy answer, and he showed us last week that he's probably the best the best pass rusher that we have because that spin move to split a double team was just immaculate. There's not many K-State defensive ends that have been able to do that in my recent memory. And if he can do that against Stanford, I don't think he'll have a problem doing that against Southern Illinois. So, so yeah, Khalid Duke's my pick. I'm actually going to go against the grain here, and I'm actually going to say Nate Matlack. Interesting. Just because he showed, when he was on the field, he showed a he showed his pass rushing pedigree. He had a few moves, including I believe he busted out the ice pick spin move once that I called out during the open practice, which is probably one of my favorite pass rushing moves. Uh, Khalid Duke technically pulled it off better against the double team, but shut up. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yeah, I could. I could. This is again just me completely spitballing, but I also can see the twos running a lot. So I think Nate Matlack will end up. Playing a lot more with the twos and therefore get more opportunities to get a sack. Yeah. I think it's a totally fair take. It could honestly be anybody in the rotation for the defensive line. Or even the linebackers that was able to get the most sacks this week. So, it's you're just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Honestly, with this pick, uh, both, both solid picks. Yep. I would do INTs, but we disagree on how many there will be. Yeah. So let's just move into who we believe will be the offensive and defensive MVPs. I remember who my picks were last week. Both of them were wrong. So do you remember yours? Um, I know that I had Daniel Green on defense. Offense, I think I had Deuce. So you may have actually gotten them both right. I had either Deuce or Skyler. I had Skyler and I think I had Skyler and Duke. Okay. I had I had Green and on defense, which I think you could have gone with about anybody on defense and been right on uh, that day. I think Green was a, a good pick. I had either Skyler or Deuce, I don't remember right now, which is kinda unprofessional. But it's fun. It's whatever. We didn't write it down. It's been anywhere. it's been a while since we recorded that. It's so, been six days. That's a while. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if it was Deuce, then I was right. If it was Skyler, then I was very obviously wrong. Yeah. So, so So this week's offensive MVP, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Um you go ahead and go first. Joe Urban. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I said it was a weird take earlier. But hear me out. It's going to be the same reason I had for Nate Matlack. Or Matlick. 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 It's something like that. Something like that. It's the same reason I had for him. Because I think past, like, the second quarter, I think they see no real reason to play Deuce. So just from a purely statistical standpoint, I think it ends up being Joe Irvin because he's RB2. And I think this actually might be Joe Irvin and or Jacardier Wright's coming out game just kind of exploding onto the scene, not as much as Deuce did, obviously, but as a legitimate option behind Deuce for those more power-running scenarios. Yeah, I think that's a 
a fair take when you explain it more in depth. Because yeah, the, without expo- if I refuse to elaborate further, I look like an idiot. Yeah, like Skyler, um, he'll have an alright day, but Deuce, um, yeah, if we're doing as well as we should, Deuce shouldn't be playing past halftime at the latest. And so Deuce, he could honestly get MVP in one half. Like, that's, that's a possibility we have to entertain, but I don't know. I'm going to – I'll roll with another running back. I'll go with uh, Jacardier because uh, I thought that he had the – of the non-deuce uh, running backs, I think he had the best run. Um, against Stanford, he showed a lot of patience and followed his blocks really well, and he uh, showed a lot of power uh, with it as well. And he was still nimble at the same time. So I'll roll with Jacardier for my offensive MVP. Alright, so you can do defense first now. Okay. Um, I will go with Khalid Duke uh, for this week because he really showed out against uh, Stanford, uh, especially on the one particular play where he recorded a sack. And I... It's very simple. If he can do what he did against a Power 5 school... He should just be able to eviscerate a FCS offensive line. And since he is our best pass rusher right now, then I I, I see no reason that he shouldn't be able to obtain that. I, I would, I'm tempted to go with secondary, but I just don't know how much work they're going to be getting solo because I think they're going to be rotated just so much. Yeah. So... Yeah, because last week for me it ended up being Russ Yeast, and he, even he was rotated around a lot. So I'm just going to go with perhaps the safest bet here, and that's Timmy Horn. Because Timmy Horn basically copy-paste everything that you said about Khalid Duke and apply it to Timmy Horn except for the sack. There were times where he was getting triple teamed and still pushing the pocket. He's going to assassinate people. (laughs) We could do a two-man rush with Khalid Duke and Timmy Horn. I think we'd probably still get pressure. Yeah, like literally put Khalid Duke on the right tackle and put Timmy Horn on the nose and then just don't line up another defensive end. <laughs> and just have that be the whole pass rush. Because, yeah, Timmy Horn, like you said, he just mauled people against Stanford. And it may not be immediately obvious on the – it's definitely not immediately obvious on the stat line. Um, but if you weren't paying special attention to the defensive line every play, then you wouldn't have noticed his impact. But – when you go back and watch the film, it, it was unbelievable the push that he was getting uh, on Stanford's interior O line, and that was a very large offensive line. Yes. So he may walk out of Bill Snyder Family Stadium on Saturday a literal felon for the murder <laughs> for the murder of the Southern Illinois Salukis interior offensive line. Yeah. So now comes the time for score predictions. I'm not going to dance around it. I have 42-10 for the Wildcats. I have 49-7. Anyway, if you enjoyed this... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, uh, metaphorically speaking, cats by 90. Metaphorically. Yeah. But also maybe literally. Maybe literally. Actually, I'm going to say 52-3 because I think Tate and Winkle makes another field goal. Nelson Pipes. Nelson Pipes. He Back sure up long does. <laughs> so, thank you guys for listening to this preview episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. 
If you want to contact us on social media, we are at Aggieville Alley Cats on Twitter. That is capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to find us on Gmail, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on our personal accounts, I'm at ACEdward00, and I'm Connor Balthazor, capital C and capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, there's an option to do so with no immediate benefit to you other than helping to college students out in the main link to our bio in every single platform, as well as the upcoming merch store, which we'll keep saying is upcoming, but believe me, for no, actually for real, guys, it should be coming very soon now. It, it should actually be soon. I mean, if it does take longer, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. Like, so, but things are moving along at a swift pace now, I would say. It, it, it's close to imminent. Not quite imminent. Yeah. But close. Would you say within a week or two? I'd say by the at the absolute latest disaster scenario, like the last week of September. So probably like a week and a half, two weeks maybe. All right. That's the Connor Balthazar guarantee. <laughs> the Connor Balthazar guarantee. Which is worth absolutely nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most importantly, thank all of you guys for listening to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. See you later, Alley Cats.